0: Hello and welcome to Rewildology, the podcast that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. What do whitewater rafting trips, rock climbing ascents, multi-day hikes, treks through the jungle, and safaris through the bush have in common? They are led by adventure guides. This seemingly glamorous profession attracts wanderlust-filled souls, but it isn't all that it appears to be. What does it take to become a good guide? What are the often overlooked difficulties of this field? And most importantly, why are adventure guides important for facilitating conservation action? In today's episode, we're sitting down with Colby Brockfest, a professional adventure guide and author. Colby spent most of his childhood exploring the outdoors, and he knew that he wanted to pursue a degree in environmental sciences in college. However, when his career wasn't following the trajectory he envisioned, he packed his bags and hiked the entire Appalachian Trail, a journey that took him over five months to complete. While on the trail, he and his hiking companion became the local resource for the do's and don'ts of the trail, which inspired him to pursue guiding. Fast forward to present day, and now Colby leads conservation travel trips all over the world. Since the adventure travel sector is growing at a significant rate, Colby recently published a book called The Professional Guides Handbook, How to Lead Adventure Travel Trips and Expeditions. If you've wondered what it takes to become a world-class guide, are considering becoming a guide, or wonder where adventure guiding fits in the conservation realm, then you're in for a treat. Just a quick heads up that we recorded this episode at my place with my new mic from Focusrite, and while Colby sounds phenomenal, I'll admit that I didn't place myself in the best position for the (laughs) highest sound quality. Luckily, Colby does most of the talking, so hopefully it'll be okay with you. I'm still learning something new every day, even after almost 70 interviews. (laughs) All right, friends, here is my conversation with Colby. Thanks again for coming all the way to my place to talk about your very interesting story and just getting into all of these really exciting things that you're doing right now. Just super cool. But before we get to all of that, I have to know, when in your life did you know that you wanted to become a guide?
1: Oh, right. That's a question I've been actually asked a fair amount lately, and... uh but the, the answer is easy. I still remember. Uh, it was when I was hiking the Appalachian Trail, actually. I, I didn't quite know where my career was taking me. I had a degree in environmental sciences and I was working for a consulting firm. And I got into environmental work because I wanted to spend a lot of time outdoors. And that's how I imagined it. And I'm like, oh, the environment is outside. And it turns out that those jobs are basically in the construction industry, and you're destroying wetlands or you know all the engineering things that go along with the environmental impact studies. And we were doing everything from asbestos remediation to you know tearing down bill sites and moving wetlands around. And so it was sort of disenchanting for me. I had always wanted to backpack the Appalachian Trail. And so after ten months of consulting work, I went and did that. And it took five months and five days. And for those listeners that have never been on a long trail backpack before the thing that I th- that maybe people don't realize is you run out of things to think about really fast. Mm-mm. Really? What, yeah, like whatever's happening at home or you know at, at school, at work, in family life, all these things, you know that you're you're worried about and oh, no, I need to be there for that and it's like all oh, these decisions and these things, projects that are happening, they just fade away after a week or two because whatever was going to happen, whatever decisions needed to be made, were made. And then suddenly everybody starts being really present. So now all of a sudden you have this whole group of hikers that are going like for weeks on and either doing big sections or they're on the whole trail like me. And they suddenly started realizing that there were like all these pretty purple flowers around and, oh, we're going in between national parks and national forest. What's the difference? And me and my hiking companion, we knew the answers to those because we had we had degrees, we had studied this stuff, uh, and so o- over the course of a number of weeks out there, like we became the guys to come to that were like, hey, what are these plants? Can I eat these plants? What what's how come we're in a national park now? What can I and can I not do in a national park? And how does this work? And and it was really fun. And, and somewhere up in Virginia, uh, we were sitting around the campfire and having some of these conversations. And there was a guy we had been hiking with for a while. And he's like, you know, it's a lot of fun to hike with you two. You should do this for a living. Oh. And that prompted a conversation where we were like, well, of course, nobody's going to pay you to just go walk around in the woods with them and like, point <laughs> out stuff, right? Uh, but it, it turns out that that's a real thing. And once I came to realize that, I, uh, I set my sights on that and I became a professional guide.
0: Wow, so it sounds like it was a, obviously an insanely transformative experience going through all of that. So let's take it back a step further. Were you always interested in the outdoors, and so this was a very natural progression of your life trajectory, or were you not really an outdoorsy kid? So like maybe explain a little bit of your childhood too. I
1: think yeah, interesting. always in the outdoors. Pretty much spent my youth like dressed in full camouflage, and I always had a walkie-talkie on me. Yeah, my friends and I, like in our free time, we'd either go mountain biking or we'd chase wildlife around, you know, respectfully, like I say, chase them around, but like, you know, we'd go track deer. Mm -hmm. Uh, We'd try to find pheasants out in the fields and like all these, all these things and try to learn about the wildlife. Uh, I spent a lot of time fishing and hiking, and my father was a big driver in that. He would take us out into the woods, into the wilderness, all the time. And we were really fortunate where we le- where we lived in Massachusetts was sort of on the edge of like you could get everything that you needed from you know from the city and this sort of thing, but if I you know took the roads in the opposite direction, including right across the street from me, we had access to these enormous just natural spaces. Uh, so like in the winter time, you know, daddy, he, 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 he was a sheet metal fabricator and he made this big giant sled with a big box on it. We can go ice fishing and we had our skates and our hockey sticks and all this food and hot chocolate and all these things. And we, we would just hook it up right at the house and walk it across the street and go two miles down to the lake with it, just touring it through the woods. And we'd spend, you know, spend the days in the winter skating and fishing and You know, and there were all sorts of extensions of that in all the different seasons. So always in the outdoors. And I knew that, you know, going into the Boy Scouts that it was, uh, you know, all about, you know, spending time in in the outdoors and nature and camping and learning all of those skills. Yeah. To be competent in the outdoors. So then when it was time to go to college, it was an easy choice for me. I was going to go into environmental sciences. That was my way of being able to spend time outdoors. I was more interested in the environment than like a biology degree where it's like, oh, I'm gonna focus on these types of animals or something. It's like I can just I can just be outdoors anywhere with an environmental degree and I can kind of live and work wherever I wanted in my mind with that behind me.
0: Yeah. That makes total sense. So more of the general sense of just I love nature, I wanna be outdoors and I need to cultivate a way to make this my life. Like
1: it was Correct.
0: The seeds were planted when I was young, and I need this to keep going.
1: Yeah, and I think I think the idea of giving back, you know, um, so conservation and responsible use was always always really big uh, for me. My my father adored Native American culture and how like they you know would basically like the outdoors was their church. It was their their God, the spirits, like you know, however you want to explain that. I'm no expert, but he 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 really loved that idea uh, of, you know, like, hey, you have the ability to do all of these things. He taught us in Boy Scouts at one point, you know, like his kids were like chopping down trees because we had axes and that's what like 13 year olds do. And, he, and I remember him being like, why are you doing this? What do you need from this tree right now? you know and, and the answer was nothing you know like there were there was plenty of dead and down stuff that were around that we could collect and we could have a campfire with there was no need to go out and kill a tree and he was the same way when he went out uh, when he hunted deer i would i would go with him you know to hunt deer and you know they were, he would always ceremoniously like thank the animal for giving it uh, giving its life up and um, and he was he was very respectful all the way to even when he went and butchered the animal and we had it in the house we were always very appreciative of that animal Uh, And so that's, that's how I was raised. And, and then, and then we got into scouting and that's all about community service and giving back and leadership within the community. Um, And so I, I look back on that now and I think, well, a lot of early guiding skills came actually out of boy scouts and all of the things that they did, but also sort of developing this mindset that would take me, you know, into my college programs and then ultimately into conservation-based travel of, you know, give, giving back. in in thinking about conservation and wilderness ethics and the human relationship with nature. That was always a very important part of my youth and continues to be an important part of my work.
0: So you have this light bulb moment. You're on the trail. These guys are like, you need to do this for a living. And you're like, oh shit, I need to do this for a living. So you get off the trail and you have this epiphany. What in the world did you do next? Like, how did you become a guide? What is the Becoming Guide 101? Right. What did you do?
1: Right. I mean, yeah. I mean, this guy flipped a switch to the light bulb, right? Like, I you know, kind of turned me on to this idea of like, oh, hey, this is... This is kind of a thing you could do it. It came at a, the right time in my life when I was a little disenchanted with my work, but it was it was more like planting a seed rather than just like oh I'm going to catastrophically turn my life upside down and I know exactly what I want now and I'm driven towards it. You know, it was more of just like hey this other world exists where you know you can take people on trips and you can be in the outdoors. And to me, what it, what did that mean at the time? Well, you know now I'm like what 22 or 23 or something years old. Uh, I was heavily into rock climbing and mountaineering. And like when I thought of guiding, I think of this, right? Mm-hmm. So the, there's there's a few different ways that guides can add value to the experience. and And one is, and probably the most common thing that people think about is like you're an enabler where you can take people out into these wilderness settings and get them through very challenging experiences as a guide that they might not be able to do on their own. So rock climbing, river rafting, mountaineering, you think of these sort of things where the guides is local knowledge, expertise, risk management, technical abilities, like they can get people that might not be able to do things on their own up somewhere. And, you know, the basic foundation of guiding is, is probably that, but enabling is just one function of, well, four as of a guide and so that's what i was thinking about and being a big rock climber i was like okay i'm gonna go out i got my medical certifications i started getting like you know vertical rope rescue i also did a lot of caving stuff so i had actually horizontal rope rescue which is kind of weird like into like get be able to get people through cave passages and like i started doing this kind of stuff and you know it's It's all of the hard skills, the technical skills. Again, that's what people think of when they first think of guides. And so it ended up being a great foundation for me and a way in, you know, a way in. So I I started leading rock climbing and backpacking trips and some, you know, kind of light mountaineering kind of stuff like summer mountaineering types of things. And I was able to get a job after a couple of years of getting more experience on my own. I traveled around the US a little bit, took some classes, did some like kind of little side guidey things, but my first real job then was in California, you know, maybe three or three or so years later.
0: And what was that job? Was it one of these more enabling type guiding roles? Or what was the one that finally gave you like, I am a guide?
1: Well, it's a wonderful company called Southern Yosemite Mountain Guides. Uh, and what makes SYMG very unique is that we were able to provide something a lot more than just enabling. Even though we did a lot of rock climbing and mountaineering, um you know, we did a lot of also did a lot of backpacking. We even had a big stock supported program where you know you'd go onto uh, onto the trails and and have mules either pack you into a base camp and everyone would do hikes and peak ascents from there or we would travel big sections of the trail like we would cross Yosemite we would do the John Muir Trail and so What made SYMG so special was not only just the programming, but then the connection to wilderness and building relationships with the people that you're there, helping people overcome things. And Most of our trips, the vast majority of the trips there, they, they don't center around, let's get to the top of this peak and pat ourselves on the back and take pictures. It's, let's spend some time out in nature. How long do you have, you know? and that's what was really wonderful about it and it it really tunes people into the place that they're in it encourages reflection and they come out you know having been transformed in in various ways they're not just succeeding and overcome challenges but they're realizing you know things about well, there's all sorts of things to discover you know, about about yourself and the place that you're in and your place in the world and your relationship with nature and your relationship with your other travelers that you've met and all of these things. And so exceptional guides um, are able to bring out a lot of those things out of those experiences and, and then crafting those trips and the itineraries around sort of... Um, Creating those transformational experiences is what SYMG is really about. And, and mostly those kind of experiences, you know, I guess traditionally a lot's changed in the last number of years, but traditionally it's not the mountain guiding companies that are doing that. It's more like the luxury travel or, you know, they, we have transformational travel trips that are cultural, but nobody really thought about that a mountain guiding perspective. And SYMG was always really good at at realizing the importance of that and the value of that and and being able to cross over between this sort of high end guiding, but in a very, um, accessible way. Wow. So that's how I started. And it was very, it was very formative. And then that has taken me on to, to, to other things as well. The compliment.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So then what would you say is now here in that style of guiding, as well as some of the other visions that we have of guiding, what would you say it is that you do now? What is the style or what is it? And how did you make that transition into what you're doing now?
1: Yeah, so I, I think so. Maybe everything we've talked about so far is, you know, sort of sent me on a trajectory where as a guide, I, I found I found it to be a lot more rewarding to have those transformational travel experiences with people rather than just showing them somewhere they can, you know, say, okay, I've been to Yosemite, I've seen the waterfalls, or I did it at the right time at sunset, got these great pictures because I had a guide that knew when to go and it wasn't going to be crowded and I can get the good pictures. Like that's. That's successful guiding, right? And ex- successful experience, or you get people to the top of the mountain, or you descend the river, like all those classic sort of things. It's like, okay, we did it, check, right? But the the things that are you know that that people can carry with them for the rest of their lives in terms of transformation, and so that trajectory sent me now into conservation travel, uh, and I do a lot of work with another company called Natural Habitat Adventures. And Natural Habitat is partnered with the World Wildlife Fund, and our trips are are based in nature and reflection and connecting people to the natural experience, but then also trying to spark within them a desire to be ambassadors, stewards, and advocates for the wild places and for wildlife all around the world. And I find that particularly rewarding, sort of culminating my, my own trajectory, starting with my dad and the Boy Scouts and all these things. Uh, because now I can, I can give all those things back. And in a a relatively compressed amount of time, you know, can, can help people through these transformational experiences. And as I'm saying this, Brooke, I have to say, like, it sounds all kind of heavy, like, oh, now you have your own mission and people are coming on these trips and you're going to try to mold them somehow. And it's not really like that. Um, For me, also guiding, you know, it's, it's taught me that different people, you know, either want or do not want to receive certain things. And so working with your, guests on the trip, your clients, um, and understanding, you know, where they're at, meeting them there, and then just offering doors for them to walk through is, I think, what exceptional guiding is all about. Like, if, if a guide like me goes in and you have an agenda and you're going to try to force these things on people, it's never going to work. That's not what people are there for. They're there to have an experience. They're there to have a vacation. They, they still need to relax. They still want to feel rewarded for their efforts and the challenges and risks that they face. But at the end of the day, we know from studies through the Adventure Travel uh, Trade Association and universities that have done studies that people do recognize and value transformational experiences, and they do seek that. And so in a subtle way, if the guide is able to create opportunities for those people and draw attention to things, and then people say, aha, this is interesting to me, this connection, this little bit about this wildlife or this management issue, this conservation issue, whatever it might be in this area that they've now come to sort of experience and appreciate, you know, it becomes important to them, then then they can engage with you on that. And if not, that's fine too. Like, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I can totally see that. Cause I mean, I've been now on similar trips around the world at various luxury levels and I don't know. It's just, Some people, they are really there. They just want to check this wildlife destination off a list. You know, they, they are just there. that They really want to go to the Galapagos. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that because their money is now being put in that area to help protect that land. And then there are other people where they're like almost in tears because the experience is so moving. And then I'm sure navigating that from your perspective could be sometimes I I'm, would imagine difficult. Sometimes really not. I mean, hmm. how do you manage just different people <laughs> like yeah, these, like through these things? Because I can only imagine how hard it was be well, at times.
1: I think you're right. That like people are there for different reasons, and it's important to honor why why people are there. And you know, we're you know we throw around the word guide, you know, um, but really if you think about a guide, right? Like you, you should be meeting people where they're at, and then guiding them through, you know, this this experience, and they can take things out of it, whatever it may be. You help them understand the places, you know, more than they did before. You help them to have fun by easing the burden of operations and decision making and risk management, and all these things. You know, there's there's a lot of value, and just for them and allowing them to sort of have, figure out their own experience. But I think I think a good guide, you know, can step back and recognize that like we're you're not creating the same trip experience over and over again, recreating it over and over again, right? The the trip itineraries, even if it's a popular itinerary that you're guiding a lot, will have you know a certain framework to it. But there's a lot of room for adapting that itinerary uh, according to the interests and the abilities. Uh, the desires of the people that are on the trip and so each trip can still be personal and then even within that you know you can find moments for individuals on the trip to have you know a, a just sort of deeper more profound more enjoyable experience on their own in certain places you know and it might just mean that they need a little extra time over here and then you do something else with everybody else or uh, you know I, 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 there's a lot of ways that you could Finesse a trip, right? And I think that's that's the trick. Then mm. in the end,
0: and I'm sure that comes with just lots of experience and lots of hours with people and lots of time in the field. Like, okay, yeah. I have this set of personalities. This experience is probably going they're just going to love
1: it, you know. I think it's twofold. I think I think one, uh, yeah, you're right. With experience, um, you, you just build up, you know, uh, a lot of arrows to have in your quiver. And then you say, oh, cool, I've done this, I've done that, I've seen this, I've seen that. You know, you learn things from other guides. Guests ask you for things and you're like, oh, that's something that people are interested in. They're asking me about it. Uh, or you can get creative, you know, knowing, you know, what the people are interested in, you know, like where the, where the offerings of the destination and the people that are in the destination and the interests of the guests like kind of overlap. And it might be something that you've never thought about before, but you, you, in getting to know people, then you're like, oh, hey, we can, we can actually do this. And then bringing that out. So yeah, for sure, expertise uh, plays a big role in that. But then also just being able to read people and, and caring and paying attention to those people. Because it is really easy, especially you know some of the guiding seasons. You know, you might lead an itinerary four or five, even six times, depending on the length of it, in a, in a guiding season. And that can be exhausting and overwhelming and uh, maybe even uninspiring because you know, sometimes your guests are really difficult. Like, you know, like you might not actually even get along with them. They might be challenging in some ways, and it's usually not the case, but it can be. And so keeping up the energy and staying proactive as a professional uh, and recognizing like what people want and paying attention to them and listening to them and asking questions, getting to know them on a personal level. And so that's that's one of the other, you know, Main functions of a guide in terms of adding value. We talked about enabling, but being sort of the counselor, adopting a counselor role. And again, figuring out where the abilities and interests of these guests overlap with the destination is a super important function of guiding. Mm.
0: So all of this makes sense, especially having been on guided tours, you know, when I was at the same company, that, that was my biggest experience when you know I was going on the Habsite site inspections and having, meeting our guides and having some unbelievable experiences, mostly because of them. I mean, yeah, when you're in the Galapagos, when you're in Churchill, when you're in these places around the world, I mean, it really is the guide that just make or break a trip. I, I personally think having, like I said, experiences in so many different ways. And I would like to bring this up a little higher for a second is because we were just in the nitty gritty what is like a greater role that you feel that you play in conservation? What do you think hmm. that that is? Like so if we take it, you know, the nitty-gritty, I'm the guide, I'm bringing these people through these transformative experiences. Now, where where does this fit in conservation, do you
1: think? Yeah, I that's a great question. Where does it fit in conservation? And I think maybe even back up a second to something that you're sort of teasing around is, you know, the guide's we get all the glory when things go really well and it's like oh the guide did this and the guide did that and you know the guests will write in your evaluations how incredible it was with the guide and they want to travel with the guide but <clears throat> the guide is the the last sort of person in line that has created the framework for these transformational experiences and and a lot of those experiences can um you know uh be in the conservation realm for sure but you know somebody had to av- envision this trip then somebody had to go and you know figure out what's possible in that area like can we even do what you want to do or all of the things you know operationally like hey we could do these four things but we can only do three which ones mm-hmm. right all that has to go and then the marketing team has to come in and convince you know potential clients that hey this is actually a good idea and there is value to this and here here's the actual price then the sales team gets on there and they answer everybody's questions they make them feel good about it then it goes back into operations where they actually put all the details in and they book hotel rooms and they have a you know special guest that's going to come out and speak about a conservation issue or you're going to get to you know see something about wildlife and then the guide shows up and handholds people through that whole experience that's already been planned, and maybe even took two years to plan in the case of some of these trips, right? So I think it's important to recognize that guides get all the glory, <laughs> but then in your in your con- context of your question, then with with conservation, like how do you how do you do that? You know, it's a little bit in the buildup. Uh, you know, if we think of the ideas of interpretation. Uh, of just helping people sort of understand or relate to these places that they're traveling to and, you know, all the people and wildlife, natural spaces, all these things that are contained within those destinations interpretations. Yeah, it's connecting people. And, and so the guides end up being interpreters and and then therefore sort of facil- facilitating of this experience of of understanding and connecting with the places. And so everything's been laid out for the guides to do that. Like we're going to go here and then we're going to go there. And in the the trips that are built really well with the idea of these, you know, transformational experiences in place, you, you do work up to these culminating experiences that usually happen, you know, kind of two thirds of the way into the trip or maybe like closer to the end of the trip where it's like, okay, boom. And then there's something that's like, that people have worked for, they've overcome some risk, they've overcome some challenge, or it's just you know a really special type of wildlife moment, or they meet a very special uh, guest and speaker, and, and everything leading up to that has given them context, you know, just sort of intellectually and emotional context to to lead up to that transformative experience. And so, skilled guides are good at laying the f- seeds, right, planting the seeds along that journey that the operations staff has kind of like made a framework for and then all of a sudden everybody comes to that moment then the guide has to make that moment special you have to allow people the time and that moment to enjoy it to have it sink a little bit more deeply into their hearts and minds you know encouraging reflection and that sort of thing asking people questions about what they're experiencing how they're feeling in that moment and that And then comes a little bit of follow-up after that of like wow that was really profound here are the things that you can do to help you know sort of continue that from if we're thinking about our conservation trajectory you know then it's like okay like if you want to care for this place or this you know creature that you've you know just had this emotional encounter with here's how you can be a good steward for them or here's how you can advocate for them or here you know by donating money or participating in these projects Or here's how you can become an ambassador by telling your friends and grabbing your megahorn and using You know your blog or your social media or your podcast or your songs or your art or whatever you have Available to you to go out and tell the world And so I when I think of conservation travel and conservation messages Those are the outcomes that I would love to see from people and again You're not going to get that out of everybody, but the people that are there for you know these transformative experiences and are coming on these trips because they care and want to learn more and appreciate and do well that trajectory is set up for them to be successful in what they're trying to achieve and we're there to facilitate that experience for them as guides
0: nice so almost um almost like a conservation messenger essentially like yeah Like I have the knowledge and, but I need you to have the light bulb moment so that when you're ready to get this knowledge, then you are ready to act upon it. Because, I mean, how many campaigns have we seen of do this for conservation, do this for conservation, and then it never sinks in. But when this very prime emotional moment happens, then you have this card that you pull out and be like, this is what you can actually do about it. You know how you're feeling right now? you can actually do something and i have it here for you.
1: Right. Yeah, we are. We can message those things and a, a lot of times people want direction of like cut just cutting through the noise like hey, i'm really interested in in you know big cat conservation. I see all of this stuff on the website. Like, what's real? What's not? Where's my money best spent? Or what programs can I, you know, participate in? And so that's that's really important. But I, I think you used a couple times. You you use the word feelings, and I think that's the most powerful thing because a lot of people do care about these conservation issues, wildlife issues that they see on the internet or they watch in documentaries. You know, and it's like, oh wow, yeah, that's really something. But when they get on the ground and they feel that for themselves and they develop an emotional connection, then they really truly start to care about those things to the point where they they want to become involved, and and that's one of the big things about conservation travel is that it really connects people on a personal level to the these issues that are out there in the world, and and great programs, uh, great guides can help people with that. Mm-hmm.
0: That all makes sense and you have the experience, the knowledge to go with it. And so that, I think, is the perfect segue. And so you very recently published a book called The Professional Guides Handbook, How to Lead Adventure Travel Trips and Expeditions. Why in the world did you write a book? Where (laughs) did this idea come from? I mean, there's so many incredible guides out there with so much great experience and yet you were like, I need to do this. I need to get this out there. So tell me everything.
1: What well, it was more just that somebody needed to get it out there, I think. Mm-hmm. It's a, you know, we, travel right now uh, is a growing industry. in within the, the travel sector, actually an uh, in, interesting statistic that I learned recently in researching the book was travel and tourism makes up 10.3% of the uh, gross domestic product global global. global domestic product. <laughs> you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. I got this wrong. Yeah. Gross. Yeah. Global product. Yeah. 10, 10, 10.3% of all the money made in the world is travel and tourism related. Uh, within travel and tourism, then adventure travel and conservation travel is part of that is the fastest growing sector by a long shot.
0: Oh, it is. Oh, it is.
1: That. So that's, that's really interesting. Um, to, uh, you know, to know, but it also highlights, you know, like, wow, this is rapidly growing. How do we keep up with that? And so, you know, again, if we just think about all those functions of a guide, you know, it's it's really easy to find somebody that can take you hiking or can take you rock climbing. Like, it, you know, listeners probably know people that are, wow, that person's an excellent rock climber. Or, oh, you want to go down a river, like jump in with my buddy, whoever, they're awesome. That doesn't make them a great guide. It makes them a great river rafter, right? and so what we're finding is that a lot of the people that you know have a connection to the natural world and want to you know want to be a guide and want to spend time in the outdoors with people don't have these deeper skill sets when we're talking about interpretation transformative experiences but also just decision making in group settings advanced risk management um, leadership skills group you know sort of team building management that sort of stuff and really even just understanding of the travel industry guest expectations, what are the potential outcomes of trips, what do guests expect when they're there, what do they want their experience to be like, and it's really difficult to train people on trips uh, because oftentimes in the outdoors we're dealing with, you know, small groups that are hiking, our national parks, national forests all over the world have quota systems, your groups can't be very large, so then are you going to take a paying guest out in order to put a, a guide in to train? That affects operational margins. Um, so all of these things make it really difficult to train guides. Uh, it, 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 also, you know, you can't just train guides in front of a group, right? Right. Because it's like, hey, Brooke, I want you to, you know, give these people a briefing and like let them know like what we're going to do today, and then you do it. And, and of course, you w- you would do a wonderful job, <laughs> but but say a different Brooke. <laughs> Did a really I hope I would. <laughs> did an exceptionally poor job. Um, you can't really critique that then in front of all the people that are there. So it's a it, you know your ability to mentor and train people in the field is is very limited because you're trying to run a trip with guests actually being present. And so the need for a handbook, you know, was was there, and somebody needed to do it. And then COVID hit, and uh, and suddenly a lot of us were out of work, myself included, um, or at least out of field work. And I had all this material built up from years of, you know, leading guide training programs and creating content and, you know, this big catalog of stuff. And I thought, well, now is is the time I'm going to compile all this into something useful for everyone.
0: Nice. And so, one, I don't know how many people listening have written a book. I have never written a book. What is that process? How did you get it from idea to actual in print and then also too, you wouldn't mind explain why print as well. There are so many different outlets now. You could have done YouTube videos. You could have done a whole blog series. You could have done a podcast. Like there's so many things that you could have done. So why a book? And then how in the world did you do it?
1: (laughs) I, I found the book to be a better format than some of those others you mentioned because it's, it's, it's a nice reference in one place. There's a, a narrative that goes along with that, you know, the book from start to finish. And so I, I don't have to write it as if somebody's going to read about this section on its own or that section on its own. By the time I get to certain topics and certain chapters, I know that they've come through other ideas. And I can, I can use those ideas and the, that language readily and not have to be recreating and re-explaining things and laying foundations for understanding one thing based on your knowledge of another thing, right? So the book is a nice flow for that. I, I guess maybe, you know, I'm a little old school at 45 years old. I like just having a book. Like I don't like reading things on the computer or on Kindles and that sort of thing. So naturally, just the book feels better to me. There are um, ebook versions that are, that are coming out shortly. Oh, cool! Okay. Uh, so, it will, it will will there will be a Kindle version for people that would prefer a Kindle version? And then, so and then in writing and envisioning the book, I wanted the outcome to be this this idea of the guides being the facilitators of these experience like transformational experiences. That was the thing. So the theme through the entire book. Is, is sort of understanding and meeting guest expectations. And a lot of that is understanding and meeting people where they're at and being able to be flexible and adaptable and using all of your skills to do that. And so me being able to tell that story within the context of teaching people leadership and decision-making on all this, it gave a big, you know, it, it gave a foundation, a platform, I guess, for having those different conversations. And it's been like, all right, if you, why are you choosing to do what you're doing? Well, it's because you have this goal of exceptional guest experiences and transformational guest experiences and so then how do you how do you craft everything around that and so that was my take on guiding and and writing the book and and so that was my primary focus every time I was writing any of the chapters and and the outcomes then could could be that guides like we're not just taking people on vacation we're just having fun like those those days are sort of old or in, or those olden days are gone uh, where You know, good guides can have very rewarding long-term careers because we're creating these, you know, transformational experiences that then make people just sort of better humans. They understand each other and these places and the wildlife and, you know, management topics and what's happening in other countries and relating to all of these things. And I think that's what exceptional guiding and exceptional uh, adventure travel program uh, can bring to people, and it's like sure you might be doing that while you're while you're river rafting or while you're going on a big like ski tour, but that's just sort of the setting and the context for understanding these bigger things, and that's that's what the book is all about, and that's what excited me about writing the book, and I hope that that sort of proliferates through through the guiding community, that we're not just out there for this, like, hedonistic playtime and for checking things off of boxes and putting pictures on Instagrams, but there's a lot from travel that we can take that make us better world citizens.
0: Yeah, completely agree. Like I said, every single time, I know the difference. Like, I in my bones, I can feel the difference when I've been on a guided trip and when I've not been on a guided trip. And I have fun no matter what because this travel and I'm a very wonderless person. I just can't sit still to save my life. But it is amazing the difference when you have a really good guide. And I don't know what it is. Like I don't know what the secret sauce is <laughs> that they bring. And that's why I think it's so special now that you've you've written this down to help cultivate that and give direction to the next wave of guides. Because if this is a growing industry, then we need more resources out there to do this right. And as we've seen tourism grow, there is a lot of ways to do it right, and there's a lot of ways to do it wrong. And it would just be fair to assume that also is the same with guiding. And I think that's a perfect segue, which I didn't even know I was gonna go in this direction. What do you think, or what have you seen or a lot of the common mistakes that you've seen guides do over the years, or that's a really easy to, I don't know, get a mentality or do, or I guess, yeah. How, how do you do it guiding wrong? and yeah. like what is, was, what is wrong guiding or maybe if somebody is thinking about becoming a guide and what are some easy traps that you see them get in just to avoid that?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, Yeah, I mean there are a lot of examples of poor guiding. I I I like what you said though about you've been with a bunch of guides and you don't know why they were good and don't understand the secret sauce and that's why they're good because a lot of what good guides do is happening in the background and they're not showy. They're not A types. Like sure they might be fun, outgoing people that are you know cool to hang out with, but they they're not making the trip about them. They're making the trip about whatever is happening at that time and place and connecting the travelers to those things and then allowing the travelers to have that experience and connection. The guides that, that fail either, you know, just in their career or even on a particular trip are often making the trip about them, their own interests and abilities like, hey, we're going to, I'm going to force you out into the rain we're going to get, you know, to this place because I want to go and people aren't into it and you could do something different instead uh, to make up an an example or they're trying to make the trip easier for themselves right like it's the third fourth trip of the season and it's like instead of being flexible and adaptable and paying attention to the people they just recreate the wheel and they're like this is what I did last week and it worked great this is I want to have coffee at seven o'clock to be here for coffee at seven o'clock if you're not here you don't get it right and and then i'm going to move on to something else because i need to make my working life easier those are the guides that are failing and then and then of course there's just the classic you know sort of guide that is the the trip is all about them and they're you know how many times they run the river and all their success stories and you know the kind of and that stuff's fun it's great to tell stories around the campfire and, and hear that and connect people to the guiding life but when you do that too much and it's just about you and all the things, and everybody else is just sort of being strung along with you, uh, then then that that's too much. Like you, you need to find a balance there and you know, connecting them to your life as a guide and the exciting life of just sort of, you know, yeah, living, living the dream, so to speak, um, and, and not making it about them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I can totally see how that would be more of like, yeah, the secret sauce and just really taking people through the experience and oh, what's the word I'm looking for?
1: Well, the, the, the word I use in the book, if it helps is- Yeah, because fa- I don't have a copy yet. Is a, is a facilitator of <laughs> that's the, the traveling the experience, yep, right? That's, that's the word. So we think about, you know, guide, but it's sort of thrown around a, a little bit, um, you're a cat person, Brooks. So I'll say it's kind of like a pride alliance. Like, oh, it's a pride alliance. It's just, that's just what it is. It's called, We don't think. But if you really think about that, like it's a pride of lions, like they're, they're, they're proud, right? They have pride. And like, what does that mean? And like that, that term came from somewhere and it relates to the personalities of those lions. It's really cool. And I think guide is another term that's like that. Mm-hmm. And so instead of sort of convincing people, you know, of, of what it means to really be a guide in, in, in the book, I just started using the word facilitator. And then therefore their guides are facilitators of the travel experience. Um, and, and I like that because, you know, it, it makes you stay cognizant that, of the fact that you're there as a leader to help people realize their own aspirations. Right, You're not saying this is what success looks like. They're telling you what success looks like. And then you're, you're facilitating the means to the end so they can achieve what they've come there to achieve on their own. So I really like facilitator.
0: Mm. That's absolutely the word I was looking for. It was just like, <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> it was stuck somewhere back there, but you was spot on. And so if somebody listening is maybe early career or maybe this is sounding like Oh my God, maybe they are towards the end of their bachelors or something, or towards their end of their school, whatever. And they're like, I think I might want to become a guide. Yeah. What would you like to tell those specific people before they maybe they've just started down this path or they're considering it heavily? What should they know?
1: Yeah. uh, Great question. I think they should know that guiding is all about customer service. It's not about rock climbing, it's not about hiking, it's not about going on safari, it's about customer service. And so you really want to be a people person. You need to like sitting down at meals and getting people to talk about themselves. You need to figure out ways to understand their aspirations and desires and interests and then connecting them to those places. That's what guiding is all about. You know, and especially for, for new guides, you know, like you need some resume builders and the easy way to resume build is to go out and take a bunch of courses and get certified and all kinds of stuff. And that stuff is awesome. Every guide needs to have that. And it's a a very basic requirement for the job. And so don't get too distracted by those things because those classes are often very empowering, but they're not what guiding is all about. Those are just tools that allow you to be a good guide.
0: Mm. That makes sense. And I think an extension of that, so let's get a little personal if you don't mind. What would you say is some of the hardest parts of this? I mean, because you said you've been doing this now for a long time. I mean, luckily, I know your partner, she's an amazing, she's also in this field, but not. maybe not everybody has that same, I don't know if luxury is the right word, but just Set up, you know, you are gone a lot, and for probably extended periods of time. How do you manage that? What are the difficult parts of this so-called like dreamy career, where a lot of people might see it with just the stars in their eyes, but there has to be some difficult things with this as well.
1: Yeah, uh, this is this is a great question, and actually, this this <laughs> I'm like. This whole topic was suggested by a a good friend of mine, a fellow guide that helped do some editing on the book. And she suggested for the title of the chapter, Behind the Glamour. Mm. And so that's how it lives in the book. And you're right, Brooke, that, you know, just like any job, I think there's pros and cons to it. So what are the difficulties uh, in guiding? Um, You know, the pay is not great by the time you get you know further advanced in your career and you're good at what you do and you have some choice in where and when you're working and for what companies then you know it starts to become viable but certainly for a lot of guides particularly that are doing sort of the hard skill guiding rock climbing skiing you know that kind of stuff comes to mind you know you're basically getting paid in sunsets for a little while so you need to be able to sort of get through the hump and push through that in order to turn things into a career which is why we see, you know, river rafting guides sleeping in an old school bus, you know, with the wheels up on blocks at the, at the warehouse and, you know, that kind of stuff. And like, so there's, you have to be ready for some hacks probably to get your foot in the door. Some other things, uh, you're often contracting, you're not an employee, so you won't have benefits. So you need to think about your future and dental plans and all of these things, Investing in yourself that way. Which can be tough to do when you're not getting paid a lot. Relationships, as you alluded to, can be really tricky. I find in relationships it takes a lot of communication uh, with your partner, you know, to understand, recognize, and uh, then work towards each other's needs. You know, along with that is, you know, when you're on trips, I, I find that you have no choice but to be focused and very present on those trips because the guests are just they just demand it. You'll have a lot of them. Uh, when you're at home, you need to be a little bit more proactive than at being present. This is something that I personally, you know, I'm always trying to work towards because I get so tired working on trips and giving all my energy. And then I come home, you know, your friends, family, my partner, Sarah, she's, uh, you know, excited to see me. And then all I want to do is sleep and relax and just check out, right? Right. Um, and so trying to trying to be present and dedicate your time and energy to the people who are very important in your life, I think is very important to recognize and to do.
0: You must drink a lot of coffee, <laughs> right? Just some way to keep up with the energy level the
1: Yeah, time. <laughs> coffee, coffee beans, uh, chocolate covered coffee beans are my new secret weapon when I'm guiding. It's like about two in the afternoon is when that bag comes out
0: himself yeah oh that's fantastic so i think also too thanks for sharing that and no it's just like you said the glamour of it there there is another side to the coin there is if this was an easy career more people would do it but it does take a while to get your foot in the door Mm -hmm. and to grit through it and to go without little pain and probably go through some field relationships and all of this other stuff to get to, you know, this point. And I wanted to make sure that we took time to also talk about that, you know, all these amazing transformative experiences where guides are in the conservation sphere, why they're so important, especially in venture travel and conservation travel. So... Got to, got
1: to be very transparent Yeah, I, what I, is this is. I appreciate you, you know, <laughs> painting the entire picture. It's yeah. it's important. But, you know, the good, the good news too is, you know, like, you know. so again, traditionally, guiding has been very competitive. It's hard to get your foot in the door, and but a lot of people want to do it, right? And so then companies sort of had the upper hand where they're like, hey, I don't have to pay you a lot of money because you're super excited to do this, right? Uh, now with the growth in tourism, it's, it, you know everything's just exploding, and there are in some sectors even more jobs than guides right now, or qualified guides. So, it's a great time to be getting into the industry, and a lot of these things that have been, you know, challenging in the past are are a lot easier now. And you know, for the for the right person with the right skill set, the right point in their lives, you know, you you can come in and be working, you know, as a well-paid professional. Right off the bat, if, you, if you're in the right part of the industry at the right time. But I think the important thing to know about getting a job in, in the guiding world is that guide services, you're building teams, right? And people that have various strengths that all will balance each other as, as, as the team. And so one year you might apply and not get the job. It's like, well, they don't need somebody with your strengths. They have those strengths covered. They need other strengths brought into the team. So keep applying and then and then they can get in. And it's better, it's better now than it ever has been in the industry as far as pay and compensation and schedules and all of those things. Like companies are more and more in tune to that and more and more willing to make the Lifestyle around guiding easy for their 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 guides because they want their investment to pay off long term. Keep those guides around.
0: Oh, that's exciting to hear. Oh, I mean, I love gone space travel. I love going around the world. So that's fantastic to hear. And I think it might just be really fun to hear. Where do you guide? Like, where are some of the destinations that you are normally with people around the world? And then on that, do you have a particularly crazy story that you can share? And crazy can mean anything.
1: Sure. <laughs> uh, okay. Part one. Uh, where do I guide? Uh, I like alpine and polar regions. So uh, the mountains in California, Yellowstone. I love Yellowstone. And then uh, the Canadian Arctic, in Greenland, and in Antarctica are the places that I currently guide. Um, there are wonderful destinations. I feel very fortunate that I, I have a strong say in the trips that I, that I am able to guide right now and the places that I go. And then the seasonality of those schedules is, is sort of spread out. And so it's a really nice lifestyle on those trips uh, as far as crazy stories. I mean, sure. What? what are you looking for? <laughs>
0: um, I mean, you have to have so many, where, how many places you've been around the world. I mean, when I said that, what was the first story that came to mind?
1: Well, it, actually, it, you know, I have this book on my mind and you, it's funny that you haven't seen the book yet because you're really good at pulling out these things that would be interesting to people. And a lot of the things that lead my chapters are things that you're asking about. Um, so there's uh, another chapter about challenging situations and challenging people. Uh, that's called when things go sideways. And, and I actually started just rattling off some of the like crazy little like one hitter things. And so I, some of some of the things that are in there, uh, we had a lady, I, my buddy and I, we had a lady that always, um, was in this sort of drunk, drug-induced sort of state and showed up to a welcome dinner and caused a big scene and ended up screaming and yelling and got a little bit violent. And uh the the end of that story was that she was literally handcuffed and drugged across the lobby of the hotel and thrown in jail for the night, like at the welcome dinner. <laughs> when in a group of people she had never met before. So that was that was pretty wild. Um I had a, a, a rifle pulled on me one time just by this this hunter that was out in the woods. Um, just saw our backpacking group and for whatever reason just came out and started giving us some words. And it was a while ago, I forget exactly how it went, but I, I remember it ended with him and the whole time he had the gun pointed straight at me in my face, because of course, I'm the guy with the logo shirt on, right, leading everybody around. Um, but he, he was pointing the gun at me and and he said, you know, when he was letting us go, he's like, all right, well just don't do anything stupid. I'll be watching you, you know? And (laughs) it's like, what is, what does that mean? (laughs) Um, so that was a little unnerving. Um, we had, uh, our mules on one of these stock supported trips we're at, you know, Day five out of a 10 day trip and we're at 11,000 feet and it started to snow and the mules didn't like it very much. And and so they somehow managed to get away. And, uh, and, and that was it. Like we never found them. And so we had, we, we had all our stuff like up at 11,000 feet or in the snow and the packer and I couldn't find the mules anywhere. And it turns out we found out a couple days later, like they, they just went home. Like they, <laughs> It took them three days. They just hiked back to their, their, their corrals. Um, and in the meantime, we, uh, we just had our little day packs. And after spending one day in camp looking for them, you know, the weather was, was poor and there's no way that we can continue over these high mountain passes on our route. Uh, and so we just packed everything that we needed for a long day, plus some emergency supplies. Um, and we ended up hiking out a, a side trail back into the front country and organizing transportation for ourselves. We had to cut the trip short. <laughs> So yeah, there's been some fun there's been some fun ones, memorable ones over the years where things sort of went went a little sideways.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. But
1: it's adventure travel, you know, it's all part of the charm. And even if those things aren't what you really want to happen, you you can look back at them afterwards and yeah, they're great they're great stories. And those people that were on those trips have great cocktail party stories now they can tell their friends and it's it's all part of the charm of adventure <laughs> travel trips.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. So, um, to take this back again, I'm a big picture person. I love looking at things from 10,000 feet and just seeing things, seeing the forest for the trees, essentially. And so to bring it back to you as a conservationist and being to so many wild places and seeing amazing things. If there's one message that you would like to share. With everyone listening, what would that be?
1: That's a great question. You know, in an environment right now, global environment, while well, everybody's thinking about you know things like climate change and carbon emissions and impact and reducing impact, I've seen a fair amount of discourse on like, oh, travel. It's like, oh, well, you shouldn't be going to these places. You really care about these national parks. You care about these animals. You don't go right? Um, But I, I think that's doing a disservice to those places, actually. And what I like about conservation travel is that people do develop these emotional connections to places, and they become stewards, ambassadors, and advocates for these places. And that's what insights change. That's what, you know, elicits support. And it, if, we, if we don't feel personally connected to those things or connected to the people that feel connected to those things, right, you know, friends of the conservationists that then inspire other people, then all of these issues are just going to live out there on their own and nothing's going to be done about it. And so when I think of, you know, conservation travel, I think of sustainable travel, responsible travel, ethical travel, uh, where we're giving back to the communities, we're supporting those places, we're supporting the local people, empowering them. And that's what conservation travel is all about. Um, and so trip, tourism brings in money, tourism brings in support, tourism brings in awareness. Tourism in a lot of cases, um, especially third world countries, offers an alternative to things like poaching and deforestation uh, where tourism dollars are, are more, uh, more powerful. Because oftentimes it's not that people you know, don't care about um, you know, the gorillas in Uganda or, you know, the forest down at the Amazon, the local people, it's not that they don't care. It's that they still have their basic needs. Like they need to find food. They need to make money to support their family. And if all that's available to them is, you know, deforestation or poaching, that's what they're going to do. But if we can bring in tourism and we can create safari lodges, we can, you know, we, we can use hotels, we can use transportation services, we can use local guides, you can train more local guides, then that creates a different economic stream, financial stream for these people, and then for those areas are protected. And so, yeah, uh, maybe we do need to find ways to offset our carbon emissions and, you know, reduce recycling and waste in some of these communities and responsible travel companies uh, like Natural Habitat Adventures that I work for have figured out how to do this in most of their destinations. And other companies can do that as well. We can follow suit. And so, you know, what I think about these bigger, bigger picture, like why do we do things, you know, if we're going to do these things and I see conversations blowing up on Facebook, I think, yes, we should be doing these things, but we should be doing it. All companies should be doing it in in a very transparent, ethical, responsible way. And then travel is great. And the more of it, the better. Yes, (laughs) <laughs> right
0: I love it I love it I have all those reasons and more is also why I'm in this field and it's just so funny because you came you came to this field from like the guiding standpoint and just loving outdoors and, and being in nature and I came into it from like the science side you know being a biologist and it's like this is one of the only solutions we have to keeping the wildlife around and yeah, it's just, it's amazing and to know that it's growing is really exciting and to know that there are resources now, like your book out there for people and can't wait to see how that grows and what's gonna come of it. And of course, seeing your whole journey for the past few years have just been really, really exciting. But we've been talking about your book for a really long time now. So <laughs> how in the world can people get their hands on it how um, can they get a hold of you? Maybe if they want to come out and be like, Colby, I actually want to go on a trip with you. Like, What are what what
1: are the ways? Yeah. Thanks, Brooke. Well, I imagine you're probably going to put some links in the yes, podcast I notes. <laughs> so that's a good I place will. for people to start. Uh, guideshandbook.com is the website. Uh, people can learn more about the book there uh, if they're interested in guiding. Uh, and you can also purchase the book right that's a great way to purchase the book versus Amazon. Uh, great message for people is if you can order things direct, then the people that spent the time creatively to make these things happen uh, get a little bit more of a kickback so it's always appreciated to go go straight through the links uh, to the publisher. That was shameless. <laughs> <laughs> but it's the truth uh and yeah uh otherwise uh folks can follow me on instagram i'm at colby outdoors uh and you can see what i'm up to as far as adventures and then the companies that i mentioned uh, natural habitat adventures is who i'm uh, primarily working with these days uh, a global leader in conservation and responsible uh tourism travel and then southern yosemite mountain guides as well
0: nice and like just like you said I'll have all of those in the show notes, so just head on over to bemodology.com and we will make sure all those links are there. But again, thanks so much, Colby, for taking time on your crazy schedule to come out and hang out with me.
1: Well, thank you, Brooke, for inviting me. it's been a it's been a, a real pleasure and uh, thanks to all the listeners who uh, who participated today.
0: Awesome thank you.